Elisha has taken over from Elijah as God's man in Israel. He is uh, recognized universally throughout uh, Israel as being um, God's prophet. Uh, in two kings, at the beginning of two kings, you, you'll recall that um, Elijah was going to be taken up to heaven uh, and uh, Elisha followed him uh, and uh, trekked or 20 odd, 20 odd miles. Um, I looked it up on Google. Uh, this was in a straight line, but about 25 miles they walked all together that day uh, before Elijah was taken. Uh, chariot of fire separated them uh, and a whirlwind took Elijah into heaven. And the sons of the prophets were standing at a distance. Uh, and as Elijah went into heaven, he, his coat was dropped. Elisha picked it up. He turned and he went to the water. He struck the water with the coat. And he said, where now is the God of Elijah? Uh, and, and the waters parted and he went through on dry ground. And the sons of the prophets looked and said to each other, the spirit of Elijah now rests on Elisha. Uh, and Elisha became their head. And it wasn't only the sons of the prophets that recognized Elisha as being um, God's man, if you like, you know, head honcho, um, that sort of thing. It wasn't only them. Everybody in Israel recognized it. In 2 Kings chapter 3, uh, Ahab's son Jehoram is on the throne, uh, and he's gone to war. Uh, and he's invited Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, to go out and join him and to go and march against Moab. Uh, and Jehoshaphat says, you know, my people are as your people. My horses are like your horses. He's saying to him, yeah, of course I'll come. We're the same. We're the same people. I'll come with you. I'll help you fight. Uh, and we read 2 Kings chapter 3, verses 11 to 13, uh, that they run out of water. Bad news for an army, isn't it, when they run out of water? Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here from whom we may inquire of the Lord? <clears throat> then one of the king of Israel's servants answered, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah, and Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother. It would seem as if uh, Elisha was a chip off the old block. Uh, he is just like Elijah. He is bold. He is fearless. He is bold and fearless to the point of being... Um, downright rude to the king, isn't he? He has no time for him at all. Even though the people change, even though Ahab has died and, Jeho and uh, his son Jehoram is now on the throne, God's message doesn't change. It always remains the same. Repent and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive your sin so that you can be right with God. It was the same 2,600 years ago as it is today. In 2 Kings chapter 3, water is given in abundance to the kings and to the soldiers. And then there follows a series of miracles involving Elisha. There seems to be miracle after miracle after miracle. Uh, and even though the kingdom of Israel has turned away from God, God has not yet turned away from the kingdom of Israel. And God demonstrates his power and his care through Elisha. I want to look at uh, the first of those miracles recorded in Chapter 4, uh, the widow's oil. I've got, uh, I've got three points, simple points. Uh, point 1, the woman's need. Point 2, the woman's request. Point 3, the woman's help. Okay? So the woman's need, the woman's request, the woman's help. Uh, point 1 then, the woman's need. 
You know, the need of this woman is obvious for all to see. Her husband is dead. That's, that's bad enough as it is, isn't it? Her husband is dead. Uh, and it would seem that uh, he, he has, he's not died that long ago. She's been left a widow with two young sons. Now, there's no social security in Israel in these days. So she, she's on her own. She's in debt. She's got no means to pay her debt. It seems as if there's woe on woe on woe, doesn't it? Her husband has died. She's a widow. She's got two young sons, and she's in debt. And it gets worse because as well as her poverty, the creditor is at the door. And she cannot pay. So in order to fulfill the obligations of her debt, her two young sons are going to be taken away and uh, taken into slavery. What a position to be in. Yeah? Not only can you not take care of yourself, but, but you cannot take care of your children either. And they are going to be taken away from you and sold into slavery in order to pay your debt. Now, in reading this, I'm assuming that this woman has a very young family. I'm assuming that because if these two boys were older, they could have gone out and found some work to help them in. I'm assuming that they're very young because, again, if they were older, I would assume that the woman herself could have gone out to find some work if she could have left them in the house on their own. But we find her here in desperate need with virtually nowhere to turn. The, the husband, the dead husband of this woman, was one of the sons of the prophets, a band of men who were known to be zealous for God in Israel. The leader, Elisha, would have known this man. Okay, this is not some stranger that Elisha doesn't know. This is a man that Elisha knows. If you think of the, the sons of prophets as, a, as sort of a Bible college, with, with Elisha as their principal, Elisha would have known this man as one of his students. He would have known what he was like. From our point of view, it would be easy to solve this problem. God is in control. God can do all things. So why didn't God stop this man from dying in the first place? Because if God had stopped this man from dying in the first place, this woman wouldn't be in the difficulty that she is in now, would she? Yeah, she would be loved. She would be cared for. She'd be looked after. And so would her children. Why does God allow this man to die and leave this woman to face such a miserable future alone with two, two young sons to bring up. Is it that this is a bad family really down at heart and God is punishing them? Is that what it is? You know, God didn't take this man away as a punishment. This man was taken to glory. He's been rewarded for a job well done, for a job that's been finished. I listened to a man a long time ago. I went up with some of you to um, Port Ellie and listened to Joseph Torn. Yeah? And he said that he was being interrogated once, and one of the men was there with a gun and threatened him with his life. And his reply was, you cannot threaten me with glory. Yeah? His reply, you cannot threaten me with glory. This man was taken into glory. He's not being punished. The lady is being left behind. You know, difficult things happen to good people, don't they? The card in the bookstall on the market. <clears throat> I, I was down there early to pick up Rosary from work, 
uh, one Friday evening, uh, and on the outside, uh, they got a selection of cards, and I, I was just pushing them back in order, really. I wasn't really reading them. But, but there was one card there, and the title was A Prayer for the Bereaved. Uh, I thought, that's, that's a strange card. So I picked it up and, and had a little read of it. Uh, and it, it went something along the lines of, Everything that I have seems to be of so little importance to me now that my loved one is gone. I feel alone. I feel bereft. Everything I used to take joy in seems to have no joy at all. Help me to see that you love me and that you care for me and that since I have been left behind, there is still work that you have for me to do. Help me to be able to do it. What does this widow long for most? Does she, or what does she mourn for most? Does she mourn because she has no money in order to pay this debt? Does she mourn because the creditor is coming to take away her children? Does she mourn because her husband has died? Is she mourning for all three? No, she, she is in a terrible situation. How would we help someone like her today? How would we help her? There are people like this all over the world, aren't there? The, we have a, a refugee crisis in Europe at the moment, a, a refugee crisis of, of epic proportions of people moving from, from Syria, from Turkey, from Northern Africa into Eastern Europe and trying to fight their way across. Uh, people fleeing with, with nothing but the shirts on their backs, oftentimes. Some of those people... Some of those are Christians. Some of these people have lost their loved ones. Some of these people have a few small children. How do we help these people? The woman in the, the passage that we read knew her need. It was obvious. Her need was very obvious. You know, there, there, is, e there is an even greater need that people face in our world today. It is a need to have their sin forgiven. Uh, and it is a need that many people do not feel. And it is a need that many people do not know about. The woman in our passage faced the prospect of losing her children. People who have not had their sin forgiven will face a future in hell for all eternity. And when they are in hell... God will pour out his wrath on them because the people that are in hell have despised his one and only son who came and died on the cross that they might be right with God. Salvation is available. Peace with God is available. Sins forgiven is available. And those people in hell have turned their back on, on what God has given and what God has put in place in order to do their own thing. How do we help people who are in this position, who are facing this prospect of an eternity in hell, paying for their own sin? The only way, the only way we can help is by pointing them towards God and telling them about him. We can't do anything else, can we? We can't persuade them. We can't convince them. All we can do is tell about God and about the Lord Jesus Christ and about what he has done. We can give money to those working in, uh, in these countries. The government can provide aid. It can provide food and water and tents. And don't get me wrong, these are all important, aren't they? 
they only take care of the temporal things and only for a very short period of time. These people also need to be told about the Lord Jesus Christ and about what he has already accomplished on the cross. Um, at Libanus, uh, we, we support um, a missionary couple who work in the Ukraine. And uh, last year, they, they were, came back and, and uh, told us um, of the church that, that they were working in, uh, of uh, the people that were moving from one side of Ukraine to the other side of Ukraine, because uh, the, the Russian-backed rebels, the Russian soldiers really, isn't it, had moved in, uh, and people were running away, and they were fleeing and leaving everything behind. Uh, and uh, they said many people in the Christian churches had taken in families uh, and, and were sharing what they had with them. None of them had very much, it would seem, but what they had, they shared with the people that, that were fleeing. And we were told of, uh, of, of people being converted in refugee camps, of uh, soldiers asking for Bibles, or of people being saved in the churches, the church that, that they were involved with um, had been raising money so that they could enlarge it so that they could have twice the number sitting inside. Uh, and by the time they got to the, well, by the time they finished the building so that it was twice as big as it was before, it wasn't big enough again. Uh, and they needed to, to, to make it even bigger. You know, not everyone was saved. Okay, Not even most of them were saved. But people were being saved. And many were being saved. You know, praise God that he's at work all around the world. Pray that he will be at work in our country as well. The woman's request then, point two. The woman's request. This woman went to Elisha. He was in charge of the prophets. He knew her husband. He was a man of God. He would know what to do. She has absolute confidence, doesn't she? Maybe, maybe you think to yourself, oh, it's, it's absolute desperation as well. If it's desperation, she went to the right place, didn't she? 2 Kings 4 verse 1. Now the wife of, the sons, of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. She's desperate. She cries out to him. She says, Elisha, help me. This is my situation. Help me, please. How did she expect Elisha to help? Was she, was she looking for money? Is that it? Elisha, have a quick whip round and, uh, you know, raise me a couple of quid and I can go and pay off a creditor. Is that what she's asking for? Did she expect um, Elisha to go and see the king and get her debt cancelled? Because Elisha is a powerful figure, isn't he? He can ask for favours like this. She doesn't really seem to ask for anything at all, does she? Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Elisha takes the initiative. What do you have in your house? And the answer comes back. Just a jar of oil. She, she, she's in a pathetic situation, isn't she? Just a jar. She hasn't even got any flour that she can make a cake with. Just the oil. When we cry, sorry, no delicious stance. He doesn't just say, I'll pray for you and leave it at that. He's going to do something practical for her. 
as well, isn't he? When we're in need, we need to go to Jesus and we need to cry out to him. Help me, please. That's what we need to cry out, isn't it? Help me, please. The woman in the passage had a jar of oil, to her credit. When we go to Jesus and ask for his forgiveness, we have nothing to our credit. Nothing whatsoever. We come before him and we cast ourselves on his mercy. There is nothing whatsoever that we can offer to even to begin to help with our salvation. There is nothing we can do to justify ourselves. It is all of Christ. It is all of him. All we can do is cry out to him and ask him to help us and ask him to forgive us. And you know, when we have done that, when we've gone to him and we've asked Jesus to forgive our sin and we, we've given everything over to him, we need to go through our lives crying out to him over and over again, every day, because God wants the people who are dependent on him. You know, this is where God is different to us, isn't it? I want my daughters to be independent. Yeah, I want them to be able to go out and to make a living in this, this big bad world and to be content and to be to be happy i want them to be able to survive on their own god doesn't want that he wants us to rely on him for everything every day god doesn't want people to cry out for forgiveness and then to go their own way he wants the people who rely on him for their daily bread jesus taught his disciples to pray give us this day our daily bread yeah pray it every day give us this day our daily bread. Rely on God to provide for you. You know, we are not good at this in our country, are we? We are not good at all. I know where my food is coming from tomorrow because I planned it yesterday. Yeah? We, we talked about it at the dinner table and decided what we were going to have for food tomorrow. And my next day's food is in the freezer. Uh, and unless the freezer breaks down, I am comfortably off for the rest of the week. Yeah, my food is already there. And if we run out, we've got a Tesco's just down the road where we can go and buy some more. And we're all in the same position, aren't we? I don't need to worry about my food for tomorrow. And it's the same with the clothes that I wear. And it's the same with the possessions that I have in my house. I have plenty. I have more than enough. God has already provided for me and for you bountifully. You have more possessions, more clothes, more food, more money than the majority of people in this world. More than the vast majority of people in this world. We have a house to live in. We have cars to drive. And if we don't have a car, we usually have a bus pass where we can go to different places. We are materially very well off. We don't see our need to rely on God until a crisis comes our way. And quite often, um, it, it's not until a long way into that crisis that we go and rely on God. It's not until after we've tried a few things of our own first. And then, when those fail, we go and we rely on God and we call out to him. When that crisis comes, when we go to Jesus, when we call out to him, what do we ask for? Do we go to God with a problem and give him the solution at the same time? Because we're pretty good at doing that, aren't we? You know, God, this is my situation. This is what I need. This is what you need to do for me, God. So that I've got the answer, yeah? 
That's often how we go. Have you noticed that God doesn't very often answer those sorts of prayers? My greatest need is not that I've got enough money to, to buy and to drive an Aston Martin. Yeah, that's not my greatest need. My greatest need is not that I should be the greatest footballer or rugby player on the planet. My greatest need is not that I should be uh, the, the greatest pop star on the planet. My greatest need is that I am safe in the arms of Jesus. That's my greatest need. You know, my greatest need is not that I should live to be 120 and keep all my faculties. That's not my greatest need. My greatest need is that when I die, Jesus will be there to carry me home. And it's your greatest need as well. Does this preclude us from asking about our daily lives? Doesn't, does it? Not at all. We, we are encouraged to go before God with our praise and our petitions on a daily basis. Yeah, and we, we are encouraged to ask for help in times of need. We are encouraged to ask for healing in times of illness. But God isn't a slot machine. And sometimes he says no. And sometimes he tells us to wait. And sometimes he does something completely different for us. God works for the good of those who love him. Yeah? We read it, don't we? God works for the good of those who love him. And we need to remember that, don't we, when we pray. Remember that God works for our good. This woman, uh, she cried to Elisha for help. She trusted him that he would help her in some way, in a way that, uh, that she didn't know at the moment. But she trusted him that he would help her. And he did. We need to try to God in the same way. Trust him that he will help us in our time of need. Point three then. Uh, the woman received help. Okay, so the, the, woman's, the woman's help. What do you have in your house? The woman had a jar of oil. Yeah, nothing else, just a single jar of oil. Uh, it's not much to go on, is it? Not much to go on at all. But God uses what she has. In and of itself, it's useless. But with God's help, it is going to be sufficient for all her need. God will use what he has already given us in order to sort out the problems and the difficulties that we face day by day. The problem is, you can only sort it out with his help. Now, what sort of problems and difficulties am I thinking of? Thinking of everyday problems. I'm thinking marriage. Okay, think about it. God has placed you in a small, confined space with a partner for some of you 40 or 50 or, or even 60 years. Yeah. The children in the classes I teach can't get on with each other for a day without squabbling and fighting and falling out. How have you managed to stay together for so long? How have you managed it? How have you managed it when, when there have been falling out and tears and upsets and differences of opinion. When, when I first got married, we used to argue about who would take the bins out. That's what we used to do. Now I take the bins out nearly all the time. But we used to argue about that. You know, how, how do you manage? How do you cope with it? How, how do you get through that? God has given you a love 
for your partner that makes you want to hang on to them despite the differences of opinion, despite the arguments. He's given you a love that, that will allow you to go and say sorry for the hurts and the upsets that you have caused. Work. Work is another problem, isn't it? Work is hard, it's demanding, it takes more and more and more of your time. Yeah, it, it is stressful. And if the, oh, if your employers could have you working 30 hours a day for 10 days a week, they'd love it, wouldn't they? Yeah, if they could only do that. How do you manage going to work every day and doing the same job with, with people who are often not pleasant, with people who, who bicker, with, uh, with people who argue, with people who want to get when up and over you and so on and so forth. How do you manage to go back and forth to work and do the same thing day every day uh, and remain cheerful uh, while you're doing it? Well, cheerful most of the time anyway. How do you manage it? God has given you that ability to go back to that place day after day after day and to carry on into work and to give you the ability to complete your work to a satisfactory standard so that you can bring glory to him. Children, children, children have a problem, aren't they? Yeah. I thought my parents would stop worrying about me when I got older. Yeah. They haven't, they haven't. Glyn Morris, you know Glyn Morris from Mount Pleasant, he came to church once and he preached. And uh, he told us an illustration, and the illustration was that, that he'd gone to see his mother his mother was, was in, a, in a nursing home. And he'd gone to see his mother, uh, and he turned up without the coat on. And his mother told him off, because he'd catch a cold without his coat. His answer, Mum, I'm 69 years of age. I can take care of myself. Yeah? You still worry, don't you? You still worry over your children, however old they are. It's just a different sort of worry. Yeah, I, I worry over my children. My children are now both adults. I still worry over them. My parents still worry over me. When things go wrong in the house, uh, they want to come and help and sort it out. Uh, and they're concerned when, when things are tough at work. Children can be hard work. The worry doesn't stop when they leave home. It's just a different sort of worry. How did you know how to bring up godly children? How did you know? How did you know what to do at different stages of their lives? How did you know that? How did you know how to discipline them? How to explain about right and wrong? How did you manage? How did you manage day by day to be a, a, a godly influence in their lives? You know, the only way you can do it is with God's help, isn't it? That is the only way. He has used what you are. He has used what you are and what you have in order for you to bring up your children and help them and direct them in good times and in difficult times. In marriage, in work, uh, with children, God uses what you already have. He doesn't give you something extra, miraculously, does he? He uses what you have in order for you to be a good husband or wife or a good mother or a good father or, or a good worker. There are other areas of life that are difficult though, aren't there? There are a lot of areas in life that are difficult. There are illnesses, there are bereavements, there are debt, loss of job, breakdown of car, burglary, all sorts of other things uh, that may affect us at different times. 
how do we cope? How do we cope? You know, God gives us just what we need when we need it, doesn't he? God grows us. He did. He does. God grows us. We all grow at different rates and at different times and in different ways. Uh, uh, and these enable us to cope with the problems that, that come along, that, that Satan may throw in our way. Uh, and often, if we can't cope with them by ourselves, God will allow our partners to be able to cope with them, to help us through it. Uh, uh, a man in church died on Friday. Uh, a good man died on Friday. Uh, and his wife was with him when he died. How is she going to cope with that? You know the man's last words? He went to sleep, and, and they didn't think he was going to wake up. Uh, and he woke up, and his words were, Oh, I was almost in heaven. I didn't want to wake up back here. I wanted to be with Jesus. And then he closed his eyes, and he went back to sleep, and he passed away. It was such a comfort to his wife, knowing where he would be and that he was looking forward to going. The growth is just like that oil in that jar, the way God grows us. It is just like that oil in that jar. The woman went home, she borrowed as many jars as she could, uh, and uh, the oil grew and grew and grew until it filled all the jars. And that great need that she had was taken care of. I often wonder, what people do and how they cope if they don't have God to rely on, if they don't have God to lean on. You know, sometimes we're told that the Christianity is just a crutch. Yeah, it can be my stretcher as well. Yeah, I don't just need the crutch. He can carry me all the way. Yeah, Christianity is great for that. I don't know how people cope who do not have God to rely on. I have, uh, I have two friends. I got a few more than two friends, honest. <laughs> But I have two friends who are not Christians, uh, and their parents, both their, both their fathers, have, have Alzheimer's. Uh, and it's getting to the point where um, my friend Michael, he's not recognized now when he goes down to see his dad. Uh, and, and he's in despair. Uh, and, and another friend whose father is just starting on that long road. Uh, and her attitude is just shrug, grit your teeth, and get on with it. Yeah. And there's no comfort. And there's no joy. And there's no peace over it. How do we cope if we don't have God? What shall I do with it? Was the next question that this woman asked. What shall I do with it? Elisha, Elisha's answer, sell it and pay the debt and use what is left to live on. God more than amply supplied, didn't he? more than amply supplied. When, with God's help, our difficulties are dealt with, how many times did we have something left over to take through our lives? How many times did we have something left over to share with our friends who might be going through the same difficulties? How many times? You know, God wants our gifts to grow so that we can be a benefit to others. Oftentimes, our gifts grow in adversity, don't they? Oftentimes. Oftentimes... It, they grow in adversities because it's in the adversities and the difficulties of life that we rely on God more. I suppose if we relied on God more in the first place, 
maybe we wouldn't have so many difficulties, you know, but, but we are hard-headed, aren't we? Hard-headed and hard-hearted. So to finish then, when in times of need, when in times of need, flee to God. Flee to him always. Flee to God in times of need. Ask him to help. Don't direct him and tell him, what, tell him how to help. He already knows best, doesn't he? He already knows best. Wait on him. Uh, wait on him to help, and he will bring you through, and he will grow you on the way so that you might be a blessing to his other children as well. Amen.